I'm a little bit undone this morning, and I'm really happy to be here. Um, I've been at several events this week um, in different leadership capacities around uh, the wake of, of Tyree Nichols' death, and I haven't cried at any of them. Um, but being here, it's like home for me. So uh, y'all are going to have to forgive me if I'm a little undone this morning because um, I feel like I can relax here. At the same time, um, at the same time, my congregation is mostly white folk, and I'm not. And so at the same time of feeling at home, I also, I also sometimes wonder if y'all are with me, if y'all are going to follow, follow me where, where I go when it comes to some of these things. Because I can't, I don't, I don't go a day without thinking about these issues that are going on in our city. And so feel free to let me know if you're with me this morning while I'm preaching. <clears throat> Here's a couple of things that I want us to talk about this morning. Protest in the biblical tradition. I want to talk about pain and what it does to us if we don't address it. And I want to talk about taking action as a result of our pain or in line with our pain. If you haven't been in the news, I, I do want to give you a little bit of a, a rundown of what's happened uh, over the past week and why it, why it matters so much to me and to so many people in our city and in our, in our nation. Um, a 29-year-old man, Tyree Nichols, was so brutalized by police officers that three days after the beating, uh, he, he died from the injuries. He didn't have any weapons. We're not even sure if he actually did do anything to be pulled over for at this point. We don't know why the police were so aggressive from the beginning. What we do know is that Tyree Nichols was an artist, he was a photographer. And um, by the way, don't share his photography. Uh, uh, that's, that's, you're not supposed to do that with artist work, so don't do that anymore. Um, we should find a, we'll, we'll find a way to do that properly. Um, he was a skateboarder. And he was a son and a father. He is described as a gentle soul his, his mom said there, there aren't any perfect people, but he was damn near perfect. That's what she said about him. And so he, he, was, he was murdered. We didn't know exactly what was gonna happen, but as it came closer to the time where this video was gonna be released, because there was a sky cam police camera, somebody said the only cop that did, did its job that day and the body cameras, so we knew it was coming. Uh, five police officers, we found out, were involved in the beating. 
And then we found out they were all black. When I saw that picture, my heart sunk. And I'm still processing that. They fired the police officers and there are second degree murder charges, aggravated kidnapping charges, so on and so forth, which has been said all to be appropriate. Uh, attorney Ben Crump, who's handled a lot of these profile cases, he, uh, he said the way that Memphis is handling this should be a blueprint for the rest of the nation. And at the same time, at the same time, every time a black person has been brutalized by white police officers, this type of action has not happened. It has not been swift. There has not been a clarity that there has been in this case. And that's a problem. It would be enough if Tyree Nichols was the only one to have this reaction, but he is not. It's just the last one that we've caught on camera. So those officers have been charged they all posted bail. The video has come out. I don't advise you watch or don't watch that video. Some of us feel like we need to watch it. And some of us feel like we don't need to. But here's the principle that I want to say about that video. Is whether you see the actual video or you read some descriptions, what's important is that we look at the truth of what happened. You, it is imperative, it is imperative that you take the time to digest what happened because it, it means, it means so many things about the current culture that we live in in Memphis, but in, in the United States. So they were charged and we've had protests in our city and the prevailing narrative being pushed out by the media and that I, I, I've, I've heard as well is, I hope that the protests are peaceful and they were and some people are really happy about that. I'm happy nobody got hurt. But why is it so important that protests over brutalization and violence in a systemically racist criminal justice system, protests against that are the things that should be the peaceful thing? As citizens of Memphis, the police department should work for the people. And when it doesn't, we have the right to hold them accountable for that. And protest is a way to do that. And so those protests have occurred. 
and they'll continue. And they're not just happening here in Memphis. They're happening all over the country. And even if someone can't articulate it, even if they're going to a protest and they, they can't even articulate what it is, and I know there's specific demands and I agree with some of those and I disagree with other, others of, of those demands, there is a sense, there is a feeling that goes deeper in the bones of the people that are out there and the people that are not out there that want to be out there or, 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 or can't right now or they're home tending to children and doing other really important work in our city and with their family members. There's a prevailing sense that something is so broken and so wrong that the body of Tyree Nichols gives evidence of. And I don't know, I know some of y'all's stories. I know some of your backgrounds. I know, I know that the history of white evangelicalism has been one that has not been a proponent of protest and change for racial equality. Abortion, yeah, but not this subject. In fact, it's, it's, it's been counter to it. And I know a lot of you grew up with that type of narrative and that type of mindset. And I, I want to stand before you right now. And did you hear that scripture that I read? That was about protest about injustice. That was about a vulnerable woman, one of the most vulnerable people in the ancient world, crying out over and over nonstop to an unjust judge protesting the injustice until change came. Jesus ends this parable by asking, will the son of man find faith on the earth? Jesus Earlier in this gospel of Luke, when he inaugurates his ministry in his hometown and he reads a scroll from the book of Isaiah, he talks about that prisoners will be liberated, that the the blind will see. He, He inaugurates a ministry of liberation. And so I'm here to tell you today that the people that try to poke holes in, in the, what protesters are doing in light of violence and injustice and all of these terrible things that are occurring, they are not in line with the spirit and the words of the gospel. If they were to look at the truth of the matter, I'm not sure they could stand it, so they don't. It is hard if this doesn't affect you directly sometimes to know what to do with it, what action to take. But we still got to figure it out. Dr. MLK, he said, um, 
I believe this quote, I pulled it uh, this morning. Uh, quick, quick switch this morning. This is not a, 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 a well-prepared sermon. Um, he said this, I believe, from the letter in the Birmingham jail. In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. I wonder, that widow, that widow in that parable, I wonder if there were friends with her. I wonder if she was all by herself. I wonder if this area of injustice in her life, whatever it may have been, I wonder if she was all by herself. And that's why it took so long. There is power in people. And that power needs to be harnessed if we want to see real change in our city. I want to talk now about this police reform stuff that's, that's on, the, on the docket here. We've had a lot of police reform in wake of George, George Floyd. Eight can't wait. Some of you might be familiar with that phrase. And a lot of those things were, were in place in our, in our um, Memphis Police Department already. And I think there are some things uh, that still need to change. I don't think getting rid of the police force is going to ever happen. Uh, to be honest, when you poll black people, they don't want the police force in, in overwhelming majority. They don't want the police force gone because they're scared too. And police reform is, is really necessary in a lot of ways. But when we, when we look at what happened in this situation, five black officers brutalizing a 29-year-old, 150-pound man who is a, a sensitive artist. Just trying to run away, trying to get to his mom. There, there are other things that can't be fixed by laws as well. We're looking at this passage in, in, uh, in its entirety. Ben is going to preach on that next week. This passage in Acts 26 where Paul's describing what he used to be like. And I just want to read to you a few words because this, let's read it. Um, this is Acts uh, 26, 9 through 11. You just have to listen. I don't have it on a screen or anything. He says of himself, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blasphemy. Basically, he tortured people to try to get them to change their mind. And he voted for them to be killed when the opportunity arose. 
I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. We read that last week in, uh, in our staff meeting. We read that whole section, but that, that part stood out to me. Just thinking about the, the mindset that Paul had, that, that he was part of a system that produced that type of thinking to where when somebody deviated from where he thought they should be, he believed that that type of violence and persecution and torture was, was acceptable. Listen, listen, I want you, I want you to hear this, that human beings, we are, we are more than our environment that we, are, that we live in, but we are not less. that the, the, the institution, the, the lives and, uh, of, these, of these officers and then the institution that they were in, that those things work together to produce this outcome. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Our, our, our institutions are actually what the reformed Saul, known as Paul, after he met the suffering servant, the, the man of sorrows, Jesus, in a, in a blistering vision, he said That's, that we aren't, we're not fighting against the people, but we're fighting against these principalities and these powers. He said in Ephesians 6, 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the rulers of the darkness, of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickednesses in high places. And, and so there, there has to come a point in which we say, we, can, we, we can't, just reform something that is wicked. We can't just make alterations to a system that is wicked. And that's where I understand the idea of defund the police and these types of things. I think it's too scary for the average citizen to think about and to understand. But the principle of it, I think, is sound. And, and that is that you cannot reform something that is made to produce these types of outcomes. What do we do with that? Not quite sure. I know this that just like there's a, a sense and a feeling for me of home in this space, in this, in this church, in this congregation, that this institution, this, this body of people, of believers, that there is an ethos to it, that when I'm here, that I wanna be better. That there is equally that type 
of influence and power and control that our police department has over those within it. I'm not saying it's, the, it's, it's what I'm feeling in here, but I'm saying it's equally as influencing on what happens. I want to read this quote from an article, one of the thousands of articles I read this week about this idea here, about the understanding of institutions and, and the, the culture that they have. It says the, the fact that, this journalist said the fact that, or they're quoting somebody, the fact that the five officers charged with Mr. Nichols' murder are black complicates the anguish. It has also brought into focus what many black people have said is frequently lost in the police brutality cases involving white officers and black victims. That problems of race and policing are a function of an entrenched police culture of aggression and dehumanization of black people more than of interpersonal racism. You understand that? It's not, oh, this person doesn't like me. I'm here to tell you, black people are okay if a white person does not like them, right? Unless, I mean, unless they were friends and now they're not, right? But a system that devalues a black person's body and survival is what we cannot live with, literally cannot live with. It is the system and the tactics that foster racism and violence, they say, rather than the specific racial identities of the officers. So we see that this institution has brought about the death of another black person. And as Christians, we understand that our battle is actually not against other human beings. And actually, a lot of the protesters out there, they understand that as well. They might call for the removal of this person or that person, but what they're attacking is not individuals. What they're attacking is the ethos and the culture that exists there. Because if that doesn't change then you can make all the laws, all the things you want. And what we know, what black people know in their bones is that the laws will just shift and change and morph to call it something else and produce the same results. So just for a few minutes, I want to talk about um, what, what, what do we do? What could our responses be as a congregation? I met with our, our leadership cohort this morning, and we talked about some of these things. But we have this partnership with, uh, with Micah. 
and um, it's been kind of slow going, kind of hard to pick up momentum in, in our congregation, and we're all going through a lot of things and coming out of the wake of this, you know, never-ending pandemic situation, and people are tired, and I, I understand all those, all those things, and, but um, Micah is an organization that uh, works with over 60-plus different churches, synagogues, and nonprofits throughout our city. It's a cross-section of our city, of our faith groups, of our nonprofits to see action take place, to put pressure on public officials to give them things to aspire to that are more just in our city. Last year, when the election was coming up for the DA's office, the district attorney, and Amy Wyrick, who had very racist practices, was up for re-election for the longest DA term in the country, six years. Micah worked, and I brought my, my eight-year-old son at the time, Benjamin, out, and Javier and Mariah were there, and folks from all over the city, a cross-section of all these different organizations. We went out, and we, we just knocked on people's doors, and we talked to them about what was happening in the upcoming election what was on the ballot, why it mattered if you voted. And largely in part because of Micah and the other nonprofits that worked together, there was a, a huge turnout for that election. And Steve Mulroy became our new district attorney. I don't know for sure, but I would be hard pressed to believe that this outcome with what's been happening with the officers would be the same if we had a different DA right now. Just, I just want you to see the connections between these things. These things matter. They're not sexy. They're not cool. It's not, it's not even as cool as making a sign and going and join a protest. Those are important, and I hope you do protest, but I hope you also know that it is dangerous work not because of the other protesters, mind you, but because of what you experience out there. I have been extremely afraid when I have been involved in some protests. So joining Micah right now, we need new delegates. Those are people that inform our congregation. Mariah and Javier have been holding that torch for two years. And we have to find two more delegates who are willing to do that. And I hope that this, this event and what's going on and how we're talking about it sufficiently stirs somebody's heart to be able to take, take that on. It's a few meetings. Uh, really, it's one meeting every other month. One meeting a month, one meeting a month. But within those meetings are the are the nuts and bolts of the work that goes into crafting things with a cross-section of people from our city, with, with political power because of there's Hope Church out east that's a part of Micah, and there's folks in South Memphis and North Memphis and in Midtown that are coming together, that are creating a coalition that can actually bring about long-lasting changes 
where they can take place. And that is the best hope that we have of attacking the principalities and the power. So just arguing with people on Facebook ain't gonna cut it. It's all right, you can argue with them, that's fine, I'm just saying. So I want us, when you hear Micah, when you see it in our bulletins, when you hear announcements about it, I want you to remember Tyree Nichols. I want you to remember George Floyd or Sandra Bland or any of the other folks. I want you to remember that there is a school system that throughout our country looks at fourth grade standardized test scores to bring into policymaking to expand private prisons. For black people, for black people. There's an education equity force in MICA. There's education equity, there's economic equity, and there's justice, race equity in the justice system. Those are the three pillars of MICA. And there is a youth council as well that teenagers do work. All of us can't take on more responsibilities right now, more meetings, I understand that. But I, I want you to consider how, how does your place in life, what does your place in life give you the opportunity to interact with these principalities and powers? Maybe in a way that you haven't quite realized. Maybe you can ask God to give you some clarity on that. Maybe you can have a conversation with me about that. If you're white, you have more political capital than I do and that other people of color do. So when you show up to something, it matters more than if several of me show up to something. Keep that in mind when you're tired, when you just wanna cook dinner and go to bed, when you're afraid, that you have a power to affect change in a way that is not equal to mine. So think about how you could use that. That's what Paul did. That's what Paul did. He had privileges. He was in an in-between spot. He had certain powers and privileges that he was able to use. He was a Roman citizen which means he had the power of majority culture behind him. He could appeal to Caesar. But a black woman crying in the streets is just a black woman crying in the streets. Unless there's a whole lot of cameras that catch what she's crying about. All of the things that we do matter and require.
regards to this and to what the shape of our city looks like. They matter. Volunteering at the soup kitchen, it matters. Showing up to worship and being a part of these conversations and grieving together and worshiping together, they all matter. And I know many of us are tired, but how are we going to get untired? We have to grieve. We have to come together. We have to encourage and spur each other on. 